The reading this evening is Psalm 30. If you'd like to follow it in the Church Bibles, it's on page 558. Psalm 31. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, When you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mandy. Uh, Good to see you all. Good to be with you. Uh, It's been a a few weeks since I've been here, and it's great to be back. Um, thank you for your, your prayers uh, for the beach mission as well, if you, if you knew about that. Hannah and the family were up in North Wales. It was really warm <laughs> um, on the beach mission. Uh, so thank you for your prayers. Um, so if you've been, um, well, some of you have been with us for, for quite a number of years. Um, you may have noticed that each summer... Uh, we, we break off from the sort of regular teaching program uh, and uh, we look at a few psalms and we've been doing that for, for a few years now. Uh, and this isn't just because there's a lot of coming and going or Eddie doesn't know what to, to do, so he just bungs a few psalms in there. It's not really a, a, about either of those things. It's really intentional because I really um, feel and believe that, that the psalms give us, don't they, a basis of our relationship with God. 
They're very much about our relationship with God. And they give us words to, to speak to God uh, about our, our feelings and about our experiences so that we can understand God better, but we can also understand ourselves um, better. Uh, and uh, I think often it's my intention uh, to at gatherings, meetings, services, that, that we have psalms read. I think it would be great if we did that more and more and sing more and more of psalms. It was great we sang... 20, Psalm 29 last week, um, because we, it covers so many aspects of our lives, from sort of lamenting to praise pr- uh, to um, confessing, there's wisdom, there's comfort, there's all sorts of different uh, psalms of, out there. And so just really, I, I just want to begin by encouraging you, encouraging you to, to read the psalms regularly if you're not already um, doing that. Um, whether, perhaps whether you're finding prayer difficult. So you find prayer difficult, prayer's difficult at times. Psalms is a great place to go. Go there if you're struggling. Um, or if you want to celebrate something, some great celebratory psalms in there. Or if you're struggling with something. That, this is the place to go, the psalms. So that's why we do this. They're fantastic. Let's um, pray, shall we? Father God, thank you for the book of Psalms. Thank you for your words and for the way they teach us about um, ourselves and how we can come before you uh, when we don't even have words to say. We can use the words of the Psalms to speak to you and to listen to you. We pray that that would be the case this evening, that you would speak to our hearts and our lives. Uh, For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, following my, my mother going into to a care home, which was about two years ago, um, along with my brother and my uh, sister, we've been trying to sort out her bungalow, and we're still doing it. It's, it's a long-term project. Um, uh, one of the things that we um, discovered in uh, our parents' home is just a mountain of photos <laughs> A mountain of photos uh, from all different uh, occasions and, ma- and photos from a long time ago. Uh, and some that we've never seen. And we're like, Where, where's this from? And as we stare at these photos with sort of memories sort of rushing through uh, our hearts and our minds. Uh, you know, sometimes you pick up a photo and we can clearly see there, there's father, there's mother. Uh, and there's uncle uh, Jim and there's auntie Barbara. And we can kind of see... Um, uh, who's in the photo. Um, but often we look at these photos and we find it really hard to, to say, well, where was that taken? Have you, you have that experience when you look back and you think, I can't figure quite out where that was. Um, and, and as a family, we, we moved a, a few times when I was growing up. We lived in, uh, um, in, uh, near a place called Royston. We lived over in Suffolk and then we lived in Aberdeenshire. And it's just sometimes impossible to kind of nail down exactly where this photo, these photos were taken. And I use that as an illustration really to say that that is something like uh, Psalm 30. If you have your Bibles, I do have them open uh, in front of you. Because Psalm 30, uh, at the top, in the, 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 the sort of title section, it says there, a song for the dedication of the temple. But if you look closely at the footnote under A, it says, uh, it says palace. 
And it's really, it's, an unclear, it's unclear the location. It's like they're staring at that photo, trying to not quite work out which, what is the events, what's the location around this psalm. We don't really know. Uh, and there's lots of theories. Uh, and we could spend a long time trying to place, is this to do with Aslam? Is this to do with uh, Saul? And uh, I don't think that's really important for us. Because here we see the central characters of God himself, and of King David. And um, such uncertainties, I think, um, aren't important for us to understand the, the central message of this psalm. What's the central message of the psalm? The central message is this, really, the remembering God's gracious rescue should lead to great celebrations. I don't know whether we have that slide there. Uh, there you are. You get the whole three points already. There you go. You can write them down and go home. No. Uh, there you go, you get the whole, the whole caboose. So let's walk through this psalm, and firstly, let's look, the, the first few verses are, are about looking back at the rescue. As David speaks about his rescue, he's uh, full of praise. He says, I, I will uh, exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depth, verse 1. Literally, I... I've lifted you like a bucket from a well. It's that sense of lifting out of the depths, out of of a place of death. That's really what it's saying. And we can't be specific about the nature of the rescue. It seems partly from enemies, hence the the reference um, that he doesn't want his enemies to gloat over him, verse 1. His plight also appears to be from illness. Verse 2, Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. So the point is that God had rescued David and it caused him to constantly give thanks, to give thanks. And David is making time here really, for biblical reflection. He, he's, he's making time to remember and to reflect on God's rescue. And uh, I wonder whether we do that enough. Do you do that enough? Do you reflect and take time to remember looking back at God, his salvation and how he's rescued you in, in, in lots of different ways, not just in the big ways, but also in the small ways? I don't know whether we do, I don't know whether we have enough space in our, our world to do that as much as we should. My um, daughter, Phoebe, is reading a lot of Roald Dahl at the moment, uh, which is great fun. And she's reading Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And uh, there's that great Oompa Loompa song. You like a Oompa Loompa song? I won't sing it to you. Um, but there's that bit, uh, you've all seen Charlie and Chocolate Factory, haven't you? You've all read it. There's a great bit uh, where Mike TV, you know, the one who's always watching TV, you know, on screen, uh, is taken away, and the Oompa Loompas come on, and they, they say, they sing, it rots the senses in their head, it kills imagination dead. You can join in if you want. It clogs and clutters up the mind. It makes a child so dull and blind. He can no longer understand a fantasy, a fairy land. His brain becomes as soft as cheese. 
His powers of thinking rust and freeze. He cannot think, he only sees. He cannot think, he can only seize. I, I, and, and you use that as a... You like that, don't you, Mark? You can see <laughs> love a bit of Oompa Loompa. Um, you can say you came to church and we got some Oompa Loompa, you know, profound. But the, you, you get the point. I'm not advocating the banning of TVs and smartphones. And, you know, I'm not just say that straight away. But I think there's something about... There's a point here about the need to stop and to think and to look back and to, to stop and reflect about our experiences and to do some remembering. And sometimes in our sort of 24-hour digital context, it's almost like that's being taken away. Every spare moment we have, we, we get the phone out. And I think it makes it harder because we have, we're not making time and space for those moments just to think and to look and to look back at the, the rescue that God has given us. David makes time to stop and reflect and to remember. It's the, the discipline of biblical reflection, isn't it, really? Uh, and and, and I, I do worry that we're missing that, losing that. I, I saw that in, in the life of people. You, see, you, you can know people, don't you? I think of dear Brenda Webb, who died not long ago, who was with us and would have been here if she could have been, uh, before she then went to a home and then uh, she went to be with the Lord. She was a lady who reflected in this way. I could see it in her. Reflected on God's providential care. Uh, She had a right view of God because she knew the scriptures and she spent time reflecting on him, stopping, thinking, praising God for his rescue. That's what David is doing here. Looking back at God's rescue, what God has achieved for us and praising him. Looking back at God's rescue. I don't know whether you caught um, the, uh, I was, the speech that was in the, the House of Commons on Wednesday. It was a, a very moving speech by um, an MP called Tom, I can never say his name, Tukenhart? Tukenhart, something like that in the House of Commons on Wednesday following the withdrawal from Afghanistan. He served alongside Afghans who fought and died to bring freedom and to bring rescue to many people's lives. And in it, he he recalls the debt, doesn't he? Uh, The debt we owe. And, And part of the speech, I think, was about the fact that we so easily forget that and so easily have moved on to something else. And so easily we do the same, don't we, with God's rescue. So easily move on and forget. And it really is to our peril. And this psalm helps us to look back at God's rescue. And notice um, the you uh, in those first few verses. The you, um, you God, you lifted, you healed, you brought me up, you spared me. God has done it and he'll keep doing it. And the psalm teaches us that we, and then this might sound uh, very strong, but an obligation to remember and praise every day of what it cost for our rescue for not only in the particular ways in which we've been rescued, uh, the specific things for each of us, 
maybe being spared from COVID or, or some specific tragedy, but that we have that particular rescue from sin and death in the Lord Jesus. It has been a great grievance that we haven't been able to really remember uh, uh, in the Lord's Supper as we would normally do. And that is to our detriment. So, we rightly respond to the call. Verse 4, sing the praise of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. Why? Because of verse 5. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. He's telling us that God's radically changed our circumstances. And that generally, his uh, severity, his, his discipline, his loving discipline, are actually temporary episodes. And here we see David telling us what God is like. It reminds us of the fact that he's slow to anger and abounding in love. But God's tendency is towards grace, not anger. Not that some troubles are not long, long-lasting. COVID-19, for many of us, has been a really long trial, and it's gone on a long while. And loneliness has been really difficult, and suffering has been real. Not that his rebuke or his correction in our life can't go on for some time, for many months perhaps. But by and large, so many of our trials are temporary, and tears that wet our pillow at night are gone by daybreak. And if you're in the midst of a, a trial here this evening, or in the middle of a, some discipline in your life, God is correcting you. For whatever reason, be assured God is in the business of rescue, of turning you around and rescuing you. So that's the looking back. But secondly, here in the next section, there is a, 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 a confronting uh, of the boastful heart. Uh, we see the lesson here that King David uh, had to learn. And, and, and we get behind why David needed rescuing here. Uh, because he had a boastful heart. And that's what's there in verse 6. When I felt secure, I said, I shall never be shaken. That's the tone of the verse. As one translator, I will never, ever, ever be moved. And David had come to that outlook because, as verse 7 says, the Lord, when you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. And you can see, can't you, just how subtle um, evil corrupts the heart. You see how subtle it is? How easily we can turn God's grace and his favour into sort of boastful self-sufficiency. Um, God, we can so easily turn God's goodness and kindness into something that's about us and self-assured uh, cockiness. Um, I, I don't know about you, but arrogance is just not a nice quality, is it? In, in anyone. And, you know, I've seen it in my own heart. You know, I, I, I sometimes can come away from something, even a church thing, and, and think, I've done really well. And I can be really cocky about it. And you have to sort of snap yourself out of it. 
Perhaps you've seen that in your own hearts too. How just how easily evil can corrupt your own thinking and the grace that you've been shown. But the Lord can easily dissolve boastful heart, as David um, confesses in verse 7. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Um, This phrase, um, I was dismayed, it sort of sounds a bit light, doesn't it? Oh, I'm dismayed. It comes across to me as a little bit weak. Um, Really, it says, I was terrified. That's much better, I think, in the sense of what it's, the weight of being dismayed. Um, I was terrified. Terrified because you hid your face. And you see, without God's presence, we are, 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 are what? We, we are rightly terrified. Without God, we should be rightly terrified. And it clearly reminds us again of, of how God sees our, our sinful hearts when we rebel against him, when we say we don't want to have anything to do with you, we just shove off God and I'm going to go my own way. I'll take it from here. And how David, how does David come out of this, this dark place of a boastful heart? And how do we come out of that kind of pride and, and, and arrogance and self-sufficiency? Well, it's there in verse 8. Have a look at it. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. You see, when the Lord hides his face, the only thing you can do is what? Seek his face, isn't it? If he hides his face, the only thing you can do is seek his face. He doesn't hide his face so that we might ultimately despair, but that we might seek him again and find him. What does that mean? I can only illustrate it from family life, from disciplining a child... It, it, sometimes in, in order for Verity, who's nearly three, to understand the magnitude of her naughtiness, and she does get naughty, um, to understand the magnitude, uh, some, saying something like, Verity, that's bad, that's really naughty, you need to say sorry, is not enough. Sometimes it's just not enough. Uh, sometimes we need to actually put her in her room, not for a, a long spell, but put her in her own room. And what are we doing? We're literally hiding her, our face from her, aren't we? In a sense, by analogy, it's not that different, is it? We're hiding her, our face from her so that she might know that what she's done is not good. And the thought of not having dad or mum is just is worse. That she might come and cry out, and of course we would be there to comfort her and welcome her and be there for her. The thought of not having God should rightly frighten us to cry out to him. Cry out for his mercy, and he will be there, right there for you. David's plea in verse nine, um, verse nine, might sound a little bit strange. It gets a, sounds a bit strange what he says next in verse nine. What is gained if I am, if I am silenced? If I go to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? This sort of sounds like a surprising kind of prayer in response 
I don't know whether you pray like that when the Lord, you feel like the Lord has abandoned you or turns his face away. It's, it's rather, I think, rather refreshing. It's kind of saying, you know, what use am I to you, Lord, if I'm dead? I can't tell anyone about you. I can't witness to you. I can't praise your name if I'm gone. So why turn away? I mean, who prays like this? Do you? I don't often pray like this. Um, but David does. And why does he do it? David does it. He's, he's, he's asking the Lord, what advantage is there in a dead David? <laughs> he can't proclaim good news, nor sing of his praise, or belt out to that, thine be the glory, great things thou hast done. Bluntly, if you don't rescue me, there's going to be a praise deficit. I think that's, in a sense, what he's saying, isn't it? And I don't know, you might balk at the idea of, of, of saying that, but just think what, what it is he's saying. He's hitting on something that's really important for us. You see, he's starting out by asking, um, what is in God's interests? What is in God's interest? What will bring glory and majesty to God? And he assumes that our reason for being, our existence, is to praise and glorify God. And so may our prayers reflect that same purpose. And then finally, um, it moves into enjoying the the great celebration uh, as we close. After the, the, the chastening, after the correcting and rebuking comes the praise and thanksgiving, verse 11. And notice how uninhibited, un, uninhibited it is. You turned my, my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. You turned, you removed. See those words again? You've done it. It's God who's done it. These are the words of transformation. These are the words of change. These are the, what God can do for us and in us. God has simply turned his situation around. And David is not going to be silent about it. He wanted to tell the world about it. There's, got hundred, there's hundreds of psalms here in which he does that. The God who had hid his face has restored the boastful, arrogant David as he repented, as he cried out. And so God returned and transformed his situation. And so David is able, you see that, do you see in those last verses, he says, Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Lord my God, are you able to say that this evening? Is the Lord my God, is he your God? Is the Lord your personal saviour, your Lord and saviour? the one who's turned your wailing into dancing, removed your sackcloth. That sackcloth is, a, again, a pres- the, it describes death, really, the presence of death. And has he clothed you in life with joy, the one who through Christ has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light? If not, seek what David does here. He cries out to God, verse 8, To you I called, I cried for mercy. Hear, Lord, 
and be, verse, and be merciful to me. Be my helper. And he will turn you from sin and death. He'll clothe you with joy. Great celebration here at the, the end of the psalm. It will be everlasting because of the work of the Lord Jesus, who's opened the way for you and me to be in the presence of God forever. That he'll never turn his face away again. Shall we just pause to pray, shall we? Let's, let's come before the Lord. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Father God, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the the chance to remember your rescue through your son, Jesus. Help us not to forget. Give us... um, nudge us into times of reflection, of stopping and thinking upon your sacrifice through Jesus. Forgive us when we are boastful and arrogant and self-sufficient and think that we're in charge. And Father, we pray that we would keep coming back to you for your mercy and your grace which you've lavished upon us time after time after time. And we pray that you'll turn our hearts uh, from sorrowfulness into joy. Please, uh, would you do this? For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.